So I have a question for you. How many forgot it was daylight saving time and were saved by your phone? I have, I have a question for you too. How many of you knew that it's actually daylight saving and not saving? Vings. Plural. Uh, I found out the hard Saving time. Savings. Saving. Yeah. Yeah, I was an English major, sure. So it's great to have you here. I'm Mark Kressmeyer. I'm one of the pastors and one on the teaching team. And we are in a series on 2 Timothy. And if you looked ahead, um, this was one of the passages that has always, to be frank, has kind of scared me a little. Because it's got this phrase in it that I've always, what does that mean? So we'll get there. Maybe you know if you've looked ahead what I'm talking about. But um, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, and he was writing to him to encourage him, to motivate him to persevere. And so I think this is really good for us in this season. And uh, I've been, I feel like I've been speaking to myself more than I've been speaking to you as we've gone through this in terms of what, um, what Paul has to say. So, like we always do, would you just pray before we dig in? Would you ask the Lord to teach you this morning from the word that you'll be able to receive it, to set aside whatever you brought with you this morning and just be able to hear the word? Would you just pray that, and then I'll pray for us. Lord, you you know what each of us has faced this past week. And so as we begin a new week and we, we come together to be in your presence, to worship you and to hear your word, we just ask that you would help us set aside everything that would distract us and that we could hear your word this morning. And Father, we just ask that you would use it in our hearts um, in the exact ways that we need. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So remember last week, we had looked at the passage where Paul gives Timothy three examples, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer, and encourages uh, Timothy that these are examples for us to think about. They are all people who work hard and and train and develop and, and have seasons and all different kinds of aspects because of a goal that they have. And, and so he then tells Timothy, think about that. But then he gives him this next statement. So he says, is the thing up there? Hmm. There we, there we go. He says this, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. Now, I want to ask you, as someone says to you, remember Jesus, what are the first things that would come to your mind? Like if someone told you, well, remember Jesus, what, what would you bring to mind about him? Talk to the person next to you about that. What would you, what would you bring to mind? Like what would come to mind if someone says, remember Jesus? So what'd you say? 
What would come to mind? Shout it out. It's okay. It's okay to shout in church. Death, burial, resurrection. Death, burial, resurrection. Okay. What else? Huh? That there's hope. hope. Okay. Sermon on the Mount. Mount. He's teaching. Um, I can't hear that. So, um, yeah, you know, especially in the context of Timothy having difficulty, you would you would have thought that that he would have talked about the crucifixion or that he suffered. You know, the writer of Hebrews says, consider him who endured such hostility of sinners against himself, lest you grow weary and faint in your mind. But he doesn't. He talks about two things. He says, remember Jesus, and then he says two things. The first is, risen from the dead. The resurrection. Ultimately, Jesus said that that would be his proof that he was who he said he was. Remember the the sign of Jonah, like three days? And he told his disciples frequently that he would rise from the dead. And at the end of the book of Matthew, after he's risen, he talks about all authority being given him. So it's like this ultimate proof. So risen from the dead points to the fact that after difficulty or, or death, Jesus has won, there is a resurrection. You know, of all the different kinds of things that we go through, we need to remember there is a resurrection. There is a resurrection of the dead. And so there is life ahead. There is a future ahead. And then he says, descendant of David. Now that seems like, well, you know, a lot of what we focus on is the resurrection, like the the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. So why descendant of David? I had one of the commentaries I read said, this seems to be out of order. That should have been first. You know, it's like the incarnation and then the crucifixion and then the resurrection. But I don't think so. I think Paul's very intentional here because he doesn't say born of Mary. It's not about Jesus' humanity. Jesus was both God and man. We know that. But I think this is the fact that he is in the kingly line. This is descendant of David. He's pointing out that Jesus is in that kingly line who is promised, like the Messiah, who's promised to come. And as such, this is pointing to the kingdom, that Jesus has all authority. He says, after his, after his resurrection, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. The kingdom is present now, and it is coming again. So this is both the death, burial, and resurrection cited in the resurrection, and it's the kingdom of God cited in Descendant of David. So this is like the two-phrase summary of the entire gospel with the simplicity of Jesus, risen from the dead, descendant of David. And that's why Paul says, according to my gospel. This is the gospel. Jesus has come. He's fulfilled all of the promises of God throughout the Old Testament. He has died and risen again to restore our relationship with God. And there is a kingdom that is coming and everything is going to be made right. 
And at times, just to be frank, that's hard for us to remember because sometimes the stuff that's going on around us is so overwhelming that we get weighted down and we don't think like that. So Paul says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. And then, um, well, let me just point out, resurrection is coming. That's, that's for us. Jesus is the promised future king, and that is the good news. So then he says, this gospel for which I suffer. I suffer because of this gospel. I suffer imprisonment as a criminal. One of the, one of the books I read su- suggested that as a Roman citizen, Paul was being treated less than. He was being treated not as a citizen, because citizens weren't treated that way. He was being treated as a criminal. He, was, he had committed the crime of being about Jesus. You know, we don't really suffer persecution the way the early church experienced or the way people experience persecution in other parts. It's not illegal to preach the gospel here. And it's interesting, he says, as a criminal. But, you know, there's some crimes in that sense that aren't morally deficient. Preaching the gospel is not the same as breaking other kinds of laws. And Paul says, I'm suffering imprisonment for this. He was willing to suffer. He was willing to go against the status for the benefit of the gospel. But then he says, but the word of God is not imprisoned. Do you realize the Bible is the most published book? Do you realize how many languages it's been translated into? Do you realize that people have devised ways now where the Bible can be put on cell phones so that it can be transmitted cell phone to cell phone so that it can go to places where it's not possible to have the scriptures? I read a... Um, you know, I grew up, I'm old, I grew up in the times when the Soviet Union was existed and they, they smuggled Bibles into the Soviet Union because you couldn't have them there. I met a man when we were in Kazakhstan who, when the Soviet Union was in place, had traveled into, into Kazakhstan to, to disciple people and I learned all the ways that they hid documents to, to you know, to get past the border, it's just, and I read a testimony of a woman who had come to faith in the Soviet Union by reading Dostoevsky. There was enough truth in what he'd written that she found God. Like the word of God is not imprisoned. The things that are happening in our world do not stop God from accomplishing his purposes. That is what Paul is saying. And because he believes that with passion, in terms of this gospel, he says, for this reason I endure all things. For the sake of those who are chosen, so that they may attain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. I just want you to think about that, that this is what we want for people. We want people to find salvation. We want them to find peace with God now so their life can be transformed by that. And with it, as bonus, eternal glory. Now, I want you to think for just a minute, what do you imagine heaven 
to be like. I mean, do you have good thoughts about that? Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Do you think it's going to be good? When, when Kathy and I moved here in 1988, um, we, we were living in Baltimore, and we couldn't get down here to, to do, you know, like find a place to rent. So our friends found us a place, and so we rented it sight unseen. And I called the landlord and, you know, worked out a detail and, you know, sent him a check. And so we rented this place, but we didn't know what it was going to be like. We were trusting our friends to get us a good place. Have, have you realized that your thoughts about heaven kind of tell you what you think? I, I had this horrible thought the other day that I was like, sometimes I was, as I was looking ahead, I was a little bit fearful. Like, what's it going to be like? Or, or, you know? And then... I thought, why? Why am I thinking like that? Like this world, as beautiful as it is, that declares the glory of God, is the one that's cursed. It's groaning. Can you imagine what our existence will be like in a world where there's no longer any evil? It is unimaginable. And that, we cannot forget. That is what we want for people. That's why Paul uses the phrase eternal glory. There's glory. Like, we, we use that too much. In, we use that too much in Christian hymnology and in words. And we've lost the sense of what it really is. Staggering beauty. Staggering goodness. That's what we're about. We're going to get misunderstood. Let's face it. Christians get a bad rap as being about against stuff. Well, maybe we are against stuff sometimes. Maybe we don't represent Jesus well sometimes. There is... I'm going to take a little side trail here. There are divisions in the Christian community in ways where we don't talk kindly or respectfully of one another. And so at that point, when the world looks at us and says nasty things about us, we actually deserve it. But when we're about the gospel, we are about what is good and eternal. And what we want for people is really good. And we have to remember that the enemy of our souls is a deceiver. And so we're going to get misunderstood. Well, then Paul says this is a trustworthy statement. And most think this was probably a circulating hymn or some kind of poem or some kind of, kind of uh, you know, oh, just mantra or just, mantra's not the right word, but basically a repeated saying. 
And what's interesting about it is that there are four statements, and the first three statements have a specific structure. There's an if, then, and then it's followed by a then also. So if, then also. If, then also. But the fourth one breaks the pattern. So this is the passage, like I said earlier, that has made me a little nervous. So let's talk about it. So he says, it is a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we also will live with him. Now, at first glance, this might seem like it's just saying, hey, as followers of Jesus, we do not need to worry, because if, when we die, we will go to live with him. We will be with him. And that could be what it's saying, but I don't think that's exactly what it's saying, because Jesus talked about how, as a follower of him, you have to lay down your life, right, to follow him. And Paul picks up on that, and it's all about the new life. So in Colossians 3, he says, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So as followers of Jesus, we have already died to the old way of life, and we're alive to new life. So that's what he's saying. If we die with him, Think of Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. Okay? If we have died with him, we will also live with him. That's a good thing, right? We die to the old way of life, we're alive with Christ now. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If you search for the word crown in your Bible app, you'll find all kinds of references to rewards. There's the crown of righteousness and the crown of life. And they're connected to enduring, they're connected to persevering, they're connected to reward. There is great reward. And so if we endure, we will reign with him. God's going to give you things to have say over. If you think about the parables that Jesus told, it points to that. We are going to rule and reign with him. We're going to have things to, to do creative activity to engage in. Our eternal existence is not just sitting around in a universal, eternal church service. Amen. And then we get to the one that has always bugged me. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Does that make you nervous? Like, one slip, and you're done. It's over. You're out of here. Well, how'd that work out for Peter? Peter denied him three times. I don't think this is talking about one mistake. This is not talking about one behavior. See, when people think about losing their salvation, the, the pattern flows kind of like this. So I'm in this state of being saved, like, and, and that gets defined this way, that if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. But I could do something here, and not like here if I died, I'd go to heaven, but here, because I've done this, I won't go to heaven when I die. And... The problem with that is it misunderstands what salvation is. 
We are born again. In John 1, it says, he's given us the right to become children of God. We are something. It's not a status. It is an identity. And because it's not a status, it's not something I maintain. It's something God does. So I believe that this idea of denial is much more than one statement, as illustrated by Peter. And if you're worried about this, if you're worried about this, your very concern means that you are not doubting that there is a Jesus. You're not doubting that there is a God. You're kind of doubting where your status is. And that's where the fourth line is so powerful. Because he says, if we are faithless, but note there's no also. This is not a response to the faithlessness. This is the permanent identity of God. He remains faithful. It doesn't follow that God is faithless. You know, if if we're faithless, he's faithless. No, he's faithful. Your confidence is not in your ability to manage perfection. Your confidence is in the finished work of Jesus Christ, who died to set you free and give you new life. That's why Paul begins this section with be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. And this whole section ends with the faithfulness of God. If we die, we will live. If we endure, we will reign. If we deny, he will deny us. But if we are faithless, he remains faithful. What what I'm trying to get you to see is, is this is continuing in that theme that we talked about last week where Paul is saying we are involved in something worth doing. It's worth doing well. It's worth giving our effort and our time to. It's important. Let's get after it the way a soldier, the way an athlete, the way a farmer will. But most of all, let's remember Jesus Christ because our gospel is that he is risen from the dead and he is the future king. The kingdom is here and it's coming and all things will be made right. And we want people to have the opportunity to embrace that, to understand that and to enter into that. So, (laughs) I'm going to ask you yet again, what's your purpose? What's your cause? Paul said, I do everything for this. I'll suffer anything for this. You have a calling from God. I've been telling you that for months now. You have gifts and abilities and places where you live, work, and play. You have relationships. You have influence. What is your calling? And how are you pursuing it? Are you pursuing it 
the way an athlete does? Are you pursuing it the way a soldier does? Are you pursuing it the way the farmer does? Are you being wise in stewarding the things and opportunities that you have? And then I've called this living in the present by looking to the future. Are you looking ahead for what matters? So when I was in college, you might say I didn't let my, um, my classes interfere with my education, if you know what that phrase means. Um, I, I can remember sitting in an interview where somebody was looking at my transcripts and summarized my college experiences. Well, you got B's. And I was thinking, well, I got some A's too. It wasn't like it was, you know, horrible. I wanted to think of myself as having an A minus um, average. So when I went to seminary, I took a different approach. I really, really wanted to learn. And so I thought about graduation. I thought about the end. And I disciplined myself because I had that in view. I did much better. Every single one of us is going to face Jesus. I would say that's graduation from this part of life into eternity. Do you want to hear Jesus say, well done? I do. And We'll see. But I encourage you to think forward enough to realize that as we see the causes that we are involved in, we're going to believe that it's worth it. That nothing that we've gone through in this life, nothing, 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 will carry with us into eternity in a way where we'll say, man, this wasn't worth it. Everything is going to be made right. The promise is that God himself will wipe away the tears. That, my friends, is eternal glory. And that's what we get to receive. And that's what we want for the people around us. That's the cause we're committed to. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, fill us, push out the wrong thoughts, Push out the things that dominate our thinking that are not you. Help us realize the cause we're engaged in. May we be more fervent, more clear in our thinking, more committed, more persistent, more focused. We look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.